everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions here on our weekly live show. My name's Tina with my friends, Jane Wendy. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. We're great. How about you? I'm so good. Every week, I'm just like, wow, the Lord is so good. And, um, you know, like the verse says, every morning his mercies are new. And I feel like every day he has something special for each of us. Um that I find in his word and just in, you know, my walk with him. I'm so grateful to be able to um, study the Bible with you guys. And of course, uh, to all our viewers out there, we want to welcome you and thank you for joining us. We hope that you are blessed and that you enjoy your time with us tonight. Um, we love interacting with our audience. So if you have something you'd like to ask or comment on from the questions that we're talking about, be sure to put it down below in the comment section. We appreciate you joining us and interacting with us. And if there's something that the Lord's blessed you with this week, or you just want to say where you're from, um, you know, where you're studying from, be sure to, again, put that down in the comment section below. We love talking to you guys. And um, yeah, just getting to know you and interacting with you, our audience, because you're the reason why we do this. We want to um, get to know our friends out there, and we just pray you're blessed. So uh, tonight we have a couple questions, quite you know some really good ones, and I'm excited. Um, so Wendy, I, I know we need to get into this. So should we have a quick word of prayer and then we'll get started? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for this Sabbath day, for this time that you give us to spend time with you, to be able to put away everything else, all, all of our worries, all of our cares, all of our work, all, every, all the things of life that can be tiresome and stressful. And um, just to be able to come and know that we can just rest in your love and spend this time with you unhindered. And so we just pray that you'll be with us tonight as we go through these questions. And um, as Tina and Jay especially lead people through your word in response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. So, Wendy, what's our first question? Let's get our first question up. All right. So Robert is asking, are psychopaths and sociopaths crazy as a Christian? So we we did definitely love mental health questions, ones that get into the mind and all, even though we're, we just have a, a, a hobby interest in it, we'll say. And when it comes to this, uh, it, it's a very interesting topic of sociopaths and psychopaths. And I don't know what... You, Robert, what you get at, are they crazy as a Christian? Um, but I think maybe what you're saying, and I'll, I'll understand this question is asking, can you really be a Christian, a true Christian, and at the same time be a sociopath or a psychopath? And I'm not necessarily going to give a full proper definition, you know, from the DSM-5 is what what is a psychopath or a sociopath, but... Um, in general, I mean, these are people whose just sense of morality, to oversimplify it, let's say, is a bit warped. And it's not necessarily they're, they're entirely bad people, but even just the way they see things, take into the world, and interact with it is going to be very different than um, what we consider to be a normally um, properly functioning human being. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit even how this might relate to Satan and how his profile might be. Um, but let's... Let's start with how should we be? Because to me, that's really the important thing. You could spend forever studying evil, studying the bad, but if we really understand the good, then we can identify when something falls outside of the expected norm that God has created for us. So how does God want us to be? Uh, I love 1 Corinthians 13, 
just that whole chapter, right, where Paul introduces it in eleven in First Corinthians twelve, describing it as a more, a more better way, the better way to live. Like you know, most of us are living this way, but there's an even better way, a higher way that God wants us to live, and it's the path of love. And and we get a definition for what love is from Paul. It's so beautiful. It says we we all might know this, right? Starting at verse four of First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Oh, oh, before I go too far, I think Robert is with us live and he gives a clarification. He says, I was speaking to a random person. I don't think this Oh, is no, that's a different question. Sorry, right. never mind. Sorry. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, <laughs> a different, different Robert. Different Robert, too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he says that Paul, speaking in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, he says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not. Pr- not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hope all, hopes all things, endures all things. So this is love. I mean, and, and really simplify it. Love is focused on serving and benefiting others. That's its focus. It's other people-centric. Whereas you go back to sociopaths, psychopaths, they are, and you can throw a narcissist, like these people are very much focused on themselves. And it could, you know, there's theories that, you know, these people are just so afraid, so fearful that they have to control everybody and everything around themselves to make them feel safe, for example, one one theory. But God wants us to be focused on others. That's when we're healthy, when we are thinking and putting other people first. James 2, 8, it says, and I'm reading for the, from the NIV, it says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well, or you're doing right. God's law is to love. At the end of the day, all God wants us to do is love people. That's what we're commanded to do. Even Jesus said, you know, I, the world will know who you are by how you love one another. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Everything keeps coming back to love, love, love. Second Timothy 3, verse 1. Now back to the New King James Version. It's Paul's writing. He says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power of thereof. And from such people turn away, exclamation mark. You know, so here Paul is adamant, you know, there's going to be people just, again, notice how they're they're just completely the opposite of love, where love is focused on others. These people that just fool themselves, aren't controlling themselves, unrestrained, just seeking their own pleasures, their own lusts. That's that's completely the opposite. And this is how we're not supposed to be. And remember, Paul said, turn away from these people don't associate with them. So he's not even saying don't consider them Christian. He says, get get far away from them because they're not safe to be around. And in fact, who are they like? You know, if God is love and we're supposed to love, we're supposed to be in God's image. But when we are self-centric, in whose image are we? If we look at Isaiah 14, starting at verse 12, we read about Lucifer and it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who were weakened by the nations. 
For you have said in your hearts, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the Mount of Congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. It's just I, 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 I. Some people said Satan has a serious I problem because it's all about him exalting himself, glorifying himself. There's probably no greater narcissist, uh, sociopath, psychopath out there than Satan himself. It's all about him. And he wants to drag as many other people with him. And in fact, if we go further down into uh, Isaiah 14, we hear about Satan's children. Interestingly, it talks about his children. Um, Verse 21, it says, Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. um, and then keep reading verse 22 it says for I will rise up against them says the Lord of hosts and cut off from Babylon the name of the remnant and offspring and posterity says the Lord like it the, the descendants of Satan is that his the seed of the snake that God can't afford to let them live because they're just all about themselves they are the antithesis of love they are embracing sin itself and and this is why God will draw a line and he says you know all of you who choose to remain sort of you would talk about the spawn of satan but basically you choose to remain in his image to be like satan to be about yourself and embrace yourself and only about yourself you cannot live in harmony with those who follow god's law of love and the law of love is essential for life itself and and so it all comes back to, yeah, can, can a psychopath, sociopath really be a true Christian? And as they, the answer is no. Now, I'm not saying that if you have, are naturally wired this way, you have these natural propensities, you're a terrible person and that you are, um, you know, hopeless and you're not a Christian. I'm talking about the people who are just completely caving to the propensities, who are not struggling with them, who are not working with God to overcome them. This is what, that's the type of person I'm talking about. I like that way you summarize that at the end, that it's really about someone who's willing to wrestle and struggle to overcome these kinds of things, to work through that rather than simply just giving oneself over to it, indulging in those kinds of things. And that's critical. Yeah. Dean, anything you'd like to add? I think that's really good. You know, I, I, I agree. I think you know, (laughs) these mental health questions are very tough, but you know, they're real and we serve a real God. And I'm so grateful that we can come to the Bible and see examples of how we can, you know, cope through these things. And I I definitely agree. We need um, to, you know, wrestle through them because they're, they're something that's, you know, very relevant for many people. And I'm just so grateful that Christ gives us the example, you know, of like you're saying of being selfless. And that really is such a cure for so many um, mental illnesses and, you know, in general, I, you know, um, you know, just, you know, taking the focus off of self and putting it on Christ and putting it on, you know, the needs of others. So yeah, I really appreciate that. And do we want to, I know we have a few comments and questions. Um, first off, we should welcome our viewers today. We have, uh, Robert joining us and we have Iman joining us. So welcome to both of you. I think we can we could quickly run through uh, some of Robert's live questions. 
Um, like Robert asks, can loyalty without love be separated? And I believe we did discuss that at one time a few weeks back, a bit more lengthy, but I think we talked about how loyalty is an aspect of love, or, or at least in terms of faithfulness. Loyalty can mean many things, but we talked about how love is, uh, or faithfulness is a key characteristic of love, which God has demonstrated time and time and time again. Um, and we should strive to carry that out as well. Yeah. But um, can you still be loyal without loving somebody? Absolutely. Um, you know, like I think the last time we were talking about that, I was like, yeah, I can be loyal to my boss at work. <laughs> I don't necessarily yeah. love my boss, but I am loyal to them. They pay my, you know, my paycheck. So you, so you, you can know, have loyalty without love, but can you have love without loyalty? And, <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's, I think that's another question. Can you have uh, love without loyalty? And I would say, no, absolutely not. Um, you know, I love my husband and because I love him, I will be a hundred percent loyal to him out of love. Um, and that's a different type of relationship, obviously. And so, and same thing with God, you know, I, we're loyal to God because we love him. Some people, you know, they think they're loyal to God just out of a sense of duty, but I don't think, um, you know, their heart's just not in it. And, and you can, you can tell the difference between somebody who serves God out of love or just out of, you know, a sense of duty, kind of mm -hmm. like you'd serve you know, like yourself, like your boss or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And we definitely want to serve a God of love because he loves us. So. Yeah. Love it. And Robert also has a second question. This one's really interesting. Okay. So Robert is asking, um, I was speaking to a random person and they claimed that Christians copied from Antonism. Atonism. Oh, Atonism. I was trying to see if Bible Ask had an article. Can you explain Atonism history? Who was first? Thank you. Do you know off the top of your head? I guess I, you, while you're checking that. Yeah, I'll check it out real quick. Let me I see. I think maybe no. I, yeah, I don't think we do, uh, to be honest. But I feel like, yeah. Uh, Atonism is one of the, it is a very old ancient uh, belief system that I believe came out of like India around that area. Be wrong on that. And there are definitely commonalities. And it's really interesting. If you look at ancient Judaism, Judaism when it talks about the soul and the spirit, it's talking about the person as a whole is the soul or, or spirit. It's not that you don't have this more modern concept that came from the Greeks that you have uh, the body and then you have this separate soul that then could detach from it. Uh, so Atonism actually in its ancient literature has that similar belief as Judaism where the whole being, whole person is the, the soul. So there are definitely some similarities and I'm not going to be surprised by this. And this concept that, oh, Atonism came first, uh, how can you prove it? Because if if the religion of Noah, the religion of Adam was the first religion, you know, and, the re and, and Abraham gained their their knowledge, their religion, um, it would be first. And we would expect that all early religions would trace back to that one true religion. And the further back we go, the more laws look like the Ten Commandments, the more religion looks like the the jewish tra tradition so it's not 
Uh, not surprising. Okay, so when you show me Adonism is the one that comes from uh, Egypt. Okay, that was going to be my second guess. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's an article that ha that touches on it briefly in Bible Ask. Um, if you go to BibleAsk.org and put in that um, word Adonism in the search engine, um, there's just a little bit talking about basically. It's more talking about borders of of between nations, um, and saying you know that. Um, excuse me. Yeah. The Egyptians, um, they defined the limits of the religious city of Akhet Aten, um, built this, um, place, which is a center of the Aten religion, which is a cult. Um, as far as, you know, as far as, um, Egyptology, that's how Egyptologists categorize it. So, um, I don't know too much about that other than, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a, a chicken and egg thing, and I think people make a, a they rush through the false conclusions. Same thing with the flood story. Oh, there's all these flood stories, and you know the Babylonians had a flood story before uh, before Moses, so clearly Moses stole it from the Babylonians. It's like, no, again, if they're really the biblical account says Noah happened, Noah occurred, he had his flood, and then from him came the Babylonians. So yes, they would have their story, and why wouldn't? you know, the Moses have his own. It is very plausible also that you would have that. And you would have multiple different flood accounts. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and that, even if the Bible was written later, doesn't mean its account is flawed or copied from the others. Yeah, exactly. I know. And, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand as far as, you know, when the Bible is written, because the, um, you know, the, the stories of the Bible, they were given in oracles. They're, they're oral traditions, um, you know, from the time of Adam, you know, they spoke and that's how they handed down their traditions. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the time of Moses, which was much later that, um, you know, he started writing down, you know, these books, the first five books that make up the Bible. And then that pen kept getting written for the next, you know, 1500 years. And adding, you know, to what we have is the full, you know, Old and New Testament of the Bible today. And, you know, so many people are like, oh, this was older than this. And it's like, not, not necessarily. Um, but even if it was written a little bit later, it was written in a different part of the world. And it's all now put together in this beautiful, amazing book that, I mean, is written again across 1500 years, across three continents by uh, 66 or 40 authors made of 66 books and yet it's in perfect harmony and it has a beginning you know a middle you know throughout and an end and there's a central th theme throughout everything in the bible which is jesus christ and it is the most beautiful and inspired and divine book mm -hmm. ever and i don't care what anybody says <laughs> the bible didn't copy anybody the the focus of the bible is jesus and that is if you can't see that then you're not reading it right because that's what makes the Bible unique and different as far as a book. And that's what makes it have such a divine origin. Is and to have a book that's so internally consistent, written by multiple authors over hundreds of years, is just a miracle in of itself. It really is. And then for all the prophecies and everything to align perfectly and, you know, again, eventually point to Jesus and Christ fulfilling all of them in his life. It's like the, I think they did a mathematical calculation. If only was it seven or nine of, you know, the prophecies were, tr you know, came true about Jesus, which they all did, which are hundreds of prophecies. Mm -hmm. But even if only nine did, that means like it could have, oh, like Jesus would have been like the only person at all ever that could have fulfilled them. I mean, there's just so many beautiful um, evidences of, you know, the legitimacy of the Bible and, and, and its author. 
And I, and I want to talk about like how Satan works. Like, you, I don't know why we feel like something has to be a hundred percent false for us to believe that then it's, um, will be the handiwork of Satan. Satan knows that the most tempting truth is going to be something that's like 99% truth with 1% of very deadly error. Like that's the deadly mixture. And so I am absolutely not surprised that you would see lots of religions out there that will have lots of overlap with Judeo-Christianity because that's how Satan designs it so that it looks good, that there is a lot of truth in there. And, and then there's this you know little bit of falsity in there that then will really lead people away from God. So, and that's, not... how, <laughs> and that's how poison works. I mean, yep. if you ever give, like, if you see rat poison, it's 99% good food. It's only a little or water. Like, yeah, exactly. Or it's less than 1% typically poison, but it's enough to kill you. And so, and that's really, you know, the truth of it is that the Bible is a hundred percent pure, good, holy food. And these other, you know, things that try to imitate and copy Christianity or like claim that, oh, you know, that they were the original of some thing or some thought um, or some story. It's again, it's just a false distraction and just, a, you know, again, a, a, um, a device from the enemy to try to deter us from, you know, the, the truth, which is, of course, the word of God. So... So, uh, mm -hmm. Facebook user says the Bible is the best seller of all times. That's a good point too. That's a <laughs> testament to its power. Yep. Exactly. And then I think let's, uh, Robert has another question, but, um, while one of you prepares an answer for that, let's bring up the next question that we have ready and then we can come back to that. All right. So Alden is asking the Israelites were to bring an ox or a lamb as a sacrifice. How could a million people do that? If only one in 10 obeyed, that would still be 100,000 animals. Alden, um, thank you so much for your question. That is a good question. And you're right that um, this would be a lot of animals <laughs> being sacrificed in the temple. But um, let me kind of clarify a few things with you, just so you get a, a clear idea as to kind of how the um, the Jewish economy worked as far as things go surrounding the temple. And then um, also, you know, just putting you know a few things in perspective so first of all um you know when um people were you know to bring an a, a sacrifice to you know a sin offering basically to the temple or you know a wave offering there's a lot of different offerings that people would bring into the temple um it was a busy work the the day of a priest was very busy there were a lot of animals coming in and out and in the course of a year yeah it could have been about a hundred thousand animals that's very possible um because it was, you know, dozens and dozens of animals being sacrificed on a daily basis. And so, um, but the thing is, you have to understand too, is um, the animals were only, uh, the, the animals brought by the citizens were only brought, you know, in the case of a very specific sin that um, needed to be, you know, um, offered for. And so um, these were like, you know, if somebody did a, a, a wave offering. They did very specific sins or like there was a specific um, sacrifice. If a king sinned in a certain way, then they would need to bring like um, a he goat. And if, you know, a regular person sinned in a certain way, they would have to bring a she goat. It was very specific sins that needed very specific sacrifices. And you can, there's lots and lots of them as you read through, um, you know, the, the, the books of Exodus, Leviticus numbers, they kind of go into all those details. And so, um, 
so yeah, on a daily basis, there were several um, sacrifices going on. But I also want you to understand that, you know, the the um, the regular Hebrew who, you know, maybe didn't do a, a well, I don't want to say a big sin, but, um, you know, a, a, a sin that required a specific burnt offering, they were able to, at the morning and at the evening during the sacrifice, the morning and the evening sacrifice, um, they were able to turn to Jerusalem and pray. And that um, there would be a sacrifice being done for the people every day in the morning and at night. And that would cover, you know, a lot of the nation of Israel. And so that's my understanding as far as, you know, why there wasn't probably, you know, <laughs> even more, because I know we, you know, we all sin, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Um, so there, not as many animals were being sacrificed as specific, you know, individual sins, I would say. Um, another thing is that typically what I understood too, it was, it was the patriarch of the family that would bring um, that sacrifice, you know, and represent the family in, in many cases. So again, it wasn't each individual person, like it wouldn't be a little kid, you know, and everybody, it would just be kind of the patriarch of that family would be the one to bring those, those sacrifices in. But, you know, regardless of, you know, how many were coming in, it was a lot. And don't get me wrong, because they, um, like when you read in the book of Hebrews chapter nine, um, Paul talks about this. And he says, you know, basically talking about the first covenant, which is what required the blood of animals, you know, to point forward to Jesus Christ, who would be the fulfillment of that. That's why we don't do animal sacrifices today. Um, Hebrews chapter nine, verse one, he's saying, verily, truly, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Um, in verse two, he says, and there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was the candlestick. And he describes, you know, this is the earthly sanctuary he talked about in the time of Moses that we read about, you know, like I'm talking about, you know, with the, the sacrifices. And then he goes on to say something interesting. Um, you know, basically in verse 12, he says, or in verse 11, I'll start there. He says, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, um, and neither by blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood has entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal light, eternal redemption for us. And in verse 13, he says, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and ashes of a heifer, you know, these animal sacrifices, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so basically what Paul is saying here is, you know, you know, if back then people, you know, felt this need to, you know, provide an animal sacrifice um, for an atonement for their sin, no understanding that this animal <laughs> could never save you, um, right? Only the Messiah will be able, will be the one, you know, that this is a symbol of, will be the one to save you. How much more than because Messiah has come and has died and has made that sacrifice will, you know, not only, you know, cleanse you of your sin, but also give you that peace of mind, the clearing of your conscience that your sins have been forgiven because your redemption was not purchased by you buying an animal and sacrificing it. Your redemption was bought by the gift of Jesus Christ, the son of God who died for you for your salvation. So, um, 
you know, could there have been in a year, you know, hundred thousand, hundreds of thousand, possibly animals? It's possible. I don't know the exact number, but there were, we know <laughs> whenever they talk about, um, you look in the Bible, the, the duty of a priest, it was, they were up at 9am and done at 6pm. It was six hour day of just nonstop animals, you know, sacrificing animals and sprinkling the blood. It was a lot of work for a priest. Um, there was a lot going on. And when you look at Jesus, when he came into the temple and they were buying and selling animals, it was a loud, noisy place. It wasn't like there was just one animal. There was lots. Um, it was an ongoing process until, of course, Jesus fulfilled it. And I'm so thankful that he did because uh, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't want to be um, caught up in, you know, in, in that process. But it was a reminder to point the the people in the Jewish nation to, you know, forward to um, the coming Messiah. And I do believe that that Messiah is Jesus Christ who fulfilled this, um, the first covenant. And which is why we can walk in newness of life through his blood, because um, his sacrifice atones us once and for all. So uh, Jay or Wendy, anything else on that one? No, well said. Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> God is good. Do we have an answer for the there's next? That, there's that comment yeah. from Uncle MG for that one that says, um, in, for, in 1 Kings 8, 63, it shows that there are thousands of animals sacrificed. So it looks possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just for context, that, that's when it comes to mind, too. That's a great example where I believe that was a consecration of the temple. Was it? Yeah, 1 Kings. So a consecration of the temple under Solomon and and then they would have just slaughtered, yeah, thousands, thousands, thousands. It was so much blood. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like after there was a lot of um, wars that were won by Israel and God was like, wipe out all the animals. Like they were all to be a sacrifice, basically. Um, and same thing, like uh, that's when um, Saul, the first king, sinned because he said, oh, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice these, you know, certain. He was, you know, God was like, no, wipe them all out, you know. You're not supposed to. Yeah, Samuel's like, what's this? The bleating of sheep I hear? <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So anyways. All right. Um, do we have a, a an and answer then, to the comment? Yeah. And then yeah, Facebook gives us says Job sacrifice for his family too. That's that's a good point as well. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. Let's get Robert Newell's question up about spiritual slavery. All right. So Robert is asking, can you explain the difference between spiritual slavery and spiritual death? That gave me a bump when I was reading the topic. They both say when we sin, we're, we're dead or in slavery. So I think, and, and Tina, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the concept of spiritual slavery and spiritual death isn't what the Bible necessarily calls, it, calls these things. That's, this is a, a modern terminology. And so what, when we say something spiritual, what we tend to say is it's not, it's not a literal thing. It, it is a thing that the Bible talks about, but it's not necessarily a literal thing. So when we're talking about spiritual slavery, it's not a literal slavery. Like, you know, there's not literal chains or you're not literally, um, you know, uh, someone's slave in a sense, but there is aspects to a concept of slavery. That's going to be helpful to understanding this concept. Same thing for death. So Spiritual slavery, we see this, for example, uh, in Romans 6, 17, it says, But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the patterns uh, of teaching that are now claimed 
have now claimed your allegiance. So you used to be slaves to sin. And then Jesus also talks about in John 8, 34, said, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So, you know, in one way, Jesus is saying you're not literally a slave, but he's sort of, he's really talking at a spiritual level where um, if we are sinning, we're, we're letting sin control our lives. We're, we're letting Satan influence us, manipulate us. We're serving him. We're not serving God and God's wishes. Uh, and then the same thing with spiritual, spiritual death. Now, is it a literal death? No, but this is a term that a lot of people have come to use to sort of refer to separation from God. And if God is a source of life and to be in relationship with him is what, what sustains life itself, then you can infer that then separation from God caused by sin is going to result in some sort of death. And this is often used as an explanation for, uh, for Genesis, where Genesis talks about how we are, uh, we're, you know, Jesus said, you are surely going to die, Adam and Eve, if you eat the, the forbidden fruit in Genesis 2. And yet, and he says, you know, the day in which you eat it, you will surely die. And he uses the term, basically, if you literally translate it, it says you're going to dying, you will die. And people are taking this to mean, well, because we saw that Adam and Eve didn't immediately die, the common explanation is, well, they have gone through now a, a spiritual death. And to some degree, there's some element of truth where their bodies probably began to decay and age and experience things that they would not if they continued to uh, be in close harmony with God. You know, all of us, we would not have deteriorating, deteriorating DNA. We, our cells won't be dying. We, we would probably have a very different life experience. And also, even just our spiritual walk would be very different. So something really did change in an instant. Um, but I don't think that's what God meant we sent when he said, dying, you will die. I believe really Adam and Eve were supposed to die. Like God had the right to end their life right there and then. But what happens is we see God introducing the sacrificial system that Tina was just talking about at that time. God, you know, gave them coats of skin Something died to give them that coat of skin. God showed them what they would have to be doing going forward, sacrificing animals. Because the next story is Cain and Abel providing sacrifices and Cain refusing to slaughter the sheep, refusing the lamb provided for him, representing Jesus. So God immediately said, I'm going to put you guys on probation. I'm going to give you a time to rehabilitate, to restore your relationship with me because I love you that much. So I'm going to suspend the execution. I'm going to suspend the, the death penalty until uh, you have a chance to come come into harmony with me again. And so it just shows God's grace, his his mercy there. And and I think we under understate that grace and understand understate the consequences that could have happened there by by overstating what spiritual death is. I don't know. What what's your take on that, Tina? Um, I mean I think, you know, when it comes to spiritual death and spiritual slavery, you know, kind of, I mean, the verse that's coming to my mind, you know, is Roman cha Romans chapter six, verse 16, um, where he says, you know, know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And so, you know, um, 
you know, that word servant, you know, is often, you know, translated into slave, you know, slave or slavery. And so, um, I mean, I guess when I think about it, I think, you know, I think you did like the, the in-depth approach going back to, you know, the garden of Eden and really, you know, the, the, the root of where, you know, sin came from. And I think that's really true. Um, but I, I guess where, I, like, when I think about, you know, the sp state of spiritual death or spiritual slavery, you know, I don't think of it as like, okay, now, you know, Satan has me in chains and there's demons that are able to torture me. Um, you know, you're definitely opening yourself up to darkness, you know, when you're choosing to, you know, obey sin and willingly disobey the Lord. But um, at the same time, you know, like you're saying, God's grace, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And so I'm so grateful that we do have a God that if we just turn to him, you know, he's able to break those chains and give us victory over sin. And so, um, you know, I, it, to me, it's not really a scary thing, um, but it's just a reality of, you know, God's trying to, you know, tell us a truth, which is, you know, you need to understand that, you know, there is a spiritual war going on and, you know, there is, a great controversy between Christ and Satan. And you need to choose which side you want to be on because, you know, basically whoever you are obeying, whether Jesus and, you know, his way or you're being self and selfishness, which is inevitably Satan's way, that's whose side you're going to be on. And that's going to determine your, your fate eventually, you know, whether you choose Jesus and righteousness in heaven, or you choose self and selfishness and Satan and destruction. And so, um, I guess that's more where my mind kind of goes as far as, you know, who are you going to serve? Um, not that, you know, you, I think the thing is like when I, and I hear like the, that fear of spiritual bondage, um, there's so many like scary things that have been projected in our media and our movies and things like that, that are, that are, you know, that terrify us. It's like, oh, this demon's going to, you know, afflict me. And it's like, and we have all this fear of Satan and his demons, but I'm just like, I'm not scared of that because I know I have a God who's so much bigger and so much more powerful and so much more mighty that, you know, Satan and his angels, you know, it says the wicked one cannot touch him. If we cling to God, we turn to God, Satan and his angels, they can't touch us. And so, um, I just, he who the sun, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Exactly. So I think that, you know, we've, we're so trained by the media to, you know, to like, think like, oh, God's not that big or powerful. It's kind of like a wishy-washy thing. Yeah. And like Satan and his demons are like super powerful. But it's like, no, <laughs> couldn't believe more opposite. God is super powerful. And, you know, Satan is nothing. It says like, what is it in Isaiah, um, talking of Satan or is it Ezekiel? It says like when, you know, God will expose you, people will be like, this is the one that terrified the nations. Like yeah. it was him, like this, mm -hmm. nothing of a whatever, like this is Satan. Like he's nothing compared to, you know, the glory of God and, and God's majesty. So anyways, I just, I hope that, you know, you, you know, turn again, the, the, the cure to anything, <laughs> to any spiritual problem is Jesus. Keep your eyes on him, focus on him and you will you know, those fears will, you know, dissolve because you'll know, oh, I have such a bigger God than anything that, you know, the devil tries to throw at me or scare me with. So, yeah. And such a major component of the New Testament is this concept of God really empowering us by the Holy Spirit to overcome sin, giving us the will even to do his good pleasure. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're, you're right to understate that, to gloss it over or not appreciate it is really not appreciating the new, 
the new covenant that we get to enjoy as Christians today. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, uh, and I also think about um, James 4, 7 that says, subject yourselves to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. And Amen. that's like, are you spiritually subjected to God or are you enslaved by Satan? And it's just, it's and a choice. It's a choice. And <laughs> it, it, it may not seem like a choice until you decide to make the choice. And when you decide to make that choice, it becomes a choice continually. And you get to continue to make the choice to submit to Jesus and submit to God and resist being enslaved to Satan. Even God told Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? This is Genesis 4, 7. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desires for you, but you should roll over it. I mean, God is even here saying that you have the ability to rule over sin, rule over Satan. Satan's at the door. He's trying to control you. But if you resist him, you can control him. Amen. Amen. All right. Shall we get our next question up? And Robert, if that was helpful to you, let us know. We would love to know. Good question. Thanks, Russ. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So a different Robert is asking, can a spirit or other thing be a fatal attraction? All right, Robert, uh, the other Robert, we thank you for this really good question. And again, if I'm not getting at the the right, um, the right gist of what you're you're asking, feel free to ask again and give us clarification. Um, but I think the an important concept first to, to understand is, is just the nature of of death and where it comes from and sin and and. It's just your question interesting with this concept of fatal attraction. So let's look at James 1. James 1, starting at verse 14, it reads, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So there's this process that goes from being tempted to then being enticed and, and, and being drawn away by one's own desires. And then when desire is conceived, we, we cave to our desires, we sin, and then from sin comes death. That's kind of the flow of things. And notice it's one's own desires, but then there is an external temptation. So there's an external temptation that's then evoking our desires and we're just caving to our desire. That's kind of uh, the flow of things. And then in 1 John 2.16, it talks about the different types of lust that are at the root of a lot of sin. And he writes, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life. And it's so interesting that we see these when we look at Genesis 3.6 as to Eve's fall and decision to grab the fruit so she it, it it says and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food she, she saw so less of the eyes and that it was pleasant to the eyes oh sorry okay there it was the pleasant to the eyes so it looked good looked like it tastes good and that tree is desired to make one wise so that's a little bit of pride she wanted to elevate herself she took of the fruit and did eat and also gave to her husband and he did eat so 
She's caving to her desires. Satan tempted her. The serpent tempted her, you know, lied to her, deceived her, all these things. But ultimately, she had desire within that then she caved to and sinned. And this is how our interaction always will go with then with the spiritual world, where Satan is trying to seduce us. He's trying to tempt us, but he's playing at our internal, our internal desires. And so can a spirit or other thing be a fatal attraction? Um, I mean, yes. I mean, if you're setting yourself up, again, I'm, I'm not sure if you're saying, like, can you fall in love with the spirit and then end up getting killed? I don't know if you're going there, but you can hang out with a wrong spirit, with an evil spirit that then will lead you into then being tempted to cave to very strong desires you have. And we're warned about these spirits. First Timothy 4, verses 1 to 2, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then we see there's, there's in fact, a... A, a really great story. I mean, it's a sad story, but I, I find it a fascinating story in in First Kings chapter twenty-two about the ultimate demise of King Ahab. And he was a wicked king. He should have died many times, and God was just so patient with him. We kept giving him more chances. But what ultimately led to his death was basically he had a bunch of false prophets that he chose to listen to. And a prophet of God came, was brought and and gave had a vision, Micaiah. And in his vision, Micaiah said that, um, uh, verse 19, he says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke and another uh, another spoke, and then a spirit came forward, and he stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So these are the words of Micaiah. You would think then that Ahab would know better, know his life's at risk, but nope, he still chose to go into battle anyway. He listened to the lying spirits and ended up, that was his demise right there. So sad story, but definitely there are spirits out there and Satan just ultimately, he wants to see our destruction. That's what he cares about. It, uh, and uh, hanging out with him, listening to him and, and any spirits with them, that's, that's where it leads is to death. Amen. <laughs> I'm just seeing we got in some getting some comments questions or yeah, I know we have a lot of interesting comments tonight. Um, I did see, you know, Robert, I think clarify kind of what he was meaning earlier. He's um he had a great understanding of spiritual death. Um, I don't know if Wendy you want to read that one. So Robert says, I had a great understanding of spiritual death. I was just confused about how it says when we sin, we die instantly spiritually. But if we're a slave to sin, would the term spiritual zombie be better? 
That's interesting. I I have used the word zombie to refer to the times people have just wholly handed over their themselves their thoughts and everything to to jesus i was talking not to jesus to satan um i have i have done that yeah that's the idea um then there's another question from robert related to this as well i'm gonna pull that up so he says also does spirit does spiritual has multiple meanings for example satan is a spiritual being but he's considered to be spiritually dead just as spirit can refer to as breath and the Godhead. Yes. So um, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so, yeah, there's good spirits and there's bad spirits. Like there's a spirit of God, which is, you know, the Holy Spirit, um, the member of the Godhead, which is very, very different than, um, you know, angels are considered ministering spirits. That's what is another word for an angel. And so we know though, from the book of Revelation um, chapter 12, that, you know, a third of the angels fell when Lucifer, you know, the red dragon, um, you know, used his tail, which is a symbol of lies. You know, deceived a third of the angels and they fell. And those are the evil spirits or unclean spirits that the Bible talks about. Um, and so there's definitely, you know, there's a spiritual war because there are, you know, there's God and his Holy Spirit. And um, God is a spirit. Like the Bible says that we, we, we need to worship God because God is a spirit. Um, and so there's, you know, the, the good spiritual um, which is, you know, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then there's evil spiritual, which is Satan and his angels, um, which will soon one day be destroyed. So um, I hope that clarifies it a bit. Anything uh, else on that? Oh, this is actually a topic I've been digging deep into for the past year. And and Robert is exactly right in that there are multiple meanings of spiritual. And what we in modern Christianity today think is the term spiritual is quite different mm -hmm. than even mm -hmm. spiritual way back then. And yeah. really, actually, the concept of spiritual is more of a New Testament term. If you go back mm -hmm. and look in the Old Testament, you're not really going to see it. Um, you have in, the term for spirit in the Old Testament is ruach. And almost always, you're right, it, almost always in the Old Testament, it, it ruach is talking about wind. Uh, the wind of God, you can almost say, and and it, it, very fascinating study. Uh, and then we get to the New Testament, and then instead of ruach, the word now is pneuma, that's used for spirit. And so, really, we're talking about pneumatic, where spiritual is pneumatic, um, and and yeah, yeah. What what exactly is the meaning there? It's it's vague. There is a lot of uh, literature out there trying to figure out at times what does Paul mean by it. And I could say like what we think of it now, it can be quite different. But but there really is different realms. And Paul talks about in, in Corinthians, especially chapter fifteen, uh, the difference between the the uh, the psyche. And the pneuma, he's contrasting them. And for a lot of people, the psyche and the pneuma were very similar concepts. And Paul applies the psyche to refer to our current state. Hmm. We're currently psyche. We're currently, um, you know, in an earthly body, and that's the psyche. And then talks about our later body. We'll we'll have a pneumatic body, a spiritual body. Talk about later time to come, um, you know, when we're resurrected. So. I think at times when he, that word spiritual is used by Paul is referring to sort of like heavenly and, and the way we are today, you know, our bodies are made out of carbon. We are made out of dirt and earth. 
but heavily beans are could have a completely different physics of how their bodies are constructed and the way they work. Um, and now, of course, I'm starting talking almost in scientific terms, but this concept of of the heavenly spiritual the other realm is kind of these concepts that are getting there, and 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 some of it might be as we think we it is, but I think most of us would do better if we don't try to read too much into what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, really, really dig into the Bible, start studying the Greek. And, and looking at how the Greek is trying to interpret and work off of the Old Testament, and and you will get so much more depth, and and not fall prey to a lot of people at times giving very shallow modern meanings to these words. Yeah, and there are things that you know we we can't fully understand. Like this says in Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and our children forever, that we might do all the word of this law. And so, you know, definitely, you know, if God's revealed it in his word, then that's something we need to understand. But, you know, there are some things that are a mystery and, you know, we trust in the Lord that, you know, as you know, in the fullness of time, when we get to heaven, he'll be able to explain all those things in a way that we will fully understand once we have, you know, these spiritual bodies like you're talking about and um, be able to really understand it. But, you know, definitely keep studying um, like you're, like my brother Jay is saying, and um, yeah, see what God has there for you. Um, really quick, I see a really great question from Sean M. I just want to say a quick comment to it. I know we're getting low on time, so I want to get through yep. as much as we can. Let's get up Sean's question here. So Sean is asking, which book in the Bible is the best for new believers to understand Jesus and Christianity? And if you don't mind me saying... <laughs> Um, my personal opinion is I would say the book of John is um, perfect as far as understanding Jesus and Christianity. Uh, the chapter begins with saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So it points to Jesus as creator. Um, so, and then goes into who Jesus was and then you know goes right into his ministry and his baptism. And it's just shows so clearly the love of God. I love the book of John. And then, you know, to follow, John also wrote, you know, his three epistles, or I hope I'm saying that right, not epistles, right? Um, he wrote the gospel of John and they wrote the three epistles of John. So first, second, and third John, which first John is fantastic. Also understanding the love of God and also how we overcome sin through God's love. So I would say those are really great. And then of course, John wrote, wrote the book of revelation, which I'd say, wait, <laughs> wait till you've read the, the, some of the old Testament first. And yes. um, so the new the final exam, what's that? I always say revelation is the final exam. Yeah. The final exam. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so wait a little bit on revelation just because you need to get some, some background and some knowledge first, but I'd say John, um, the gospel of John is fantastic. And then, of course, the three epistles of John. And then um, even, you know, first and second Peter are really great too. But I'd say John first, like that's what I would say. Um, John and then the three epistles and then going into first and second Peter and going back to the gospels and then reading the New Testament through and then Old Testament. And yeah, you just never st stop. It's just awesome how wonderful God's word is. So I hope that helps. I, 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 I largely agree with you on that. Although I want to add one thing, which is, I think when it comes to anybody, new believers, existing, you know, people who are less new, um, the most important thing, it, like what is best is what is relevant to them. Hmm. What is meaningful to them yeah. in what they are searching for and seeking. And so if 
they're seeking something, if there's a particular topic that is particularly of interest or of importance to them in life, then meeting them where they're at mm. is actually the most the the most helpful way of helping them to understand Jesus and Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, sure. and it's interesting. People identify that each gospel does have a, a different focus. So, like for example, Matthew is showing the how Jesus sort of is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies, and and the King to come. So, if someone really likes to understand Jesus's fulfillment of prophecy and his how he fits into the with the Old Testament, then that Matthew might be the good starting point. Mark is really telling a story of Jesus aimed at the aim for the Romans, who were all about Jesus, who is powerful and efficient. And, you know, so Jesus is always you know, doing amazing miracles, going here quickly and quickly going there. And, and, and so he's appealing to that. And it's also the shortest book. So fastest moving, shortest book. And then Luke is focusing really on the humanity of Christ and, and his mm -hmm. concern for the poor, for the, the sick and all that. So if your friend really might be a, wanting that aspect of Jesus, then maybe he might like Luke, Luke, even though it's the biggest of the Gospels. And then, yeah, John. John is my favorite too. Like, Tina, I love John. I just, it's so poetic. It's just so yeah. mind-blowing. And yeah. John is really trying to capture, I think, both the the love it's a different aspect of the love of Christ. Yeah. Um, the love of that Christ expects his followers to have. Mm -hmm. And then especially the deity of Christ. Nobody brings out the the deity of Christ as mm. more so than John. And yeah. then yeah, I, I concur reading John, John's letters, like first, second John, especially, those are yeah. um great spot to begin to understand God. Yeah. And the reason why I think uh, Matthew and Luke, as much as they're fantastic, they do a lot of the genealogies. And I feel like that kind of <laughs> like, I think that's why a lot of people get overwhelmed in the Old Testament. And they give up with the Bible because they're like, oh, who and so begets yeah. so and so. It's like, what? Skip those chapters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Skip. So if you do do those, those books are great. But yeah, maybe just don't worry about that um, as much. But um, they're still really good. And then I saw a comment um, about from Uncle. May MG eight three nine um, talking about a helpful verse. I think this is talking about the spiritual things that um, yes. Barbara was talking about, which is Luke uh, chapter twenty four verse thirty nine, which says, "Behold my hands and my feet; that is, I myself handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones, as you see um, me have." So basically, Jesus is saying, "I'm not just something spiritual; I'm also physical. I'm a physical being at this point." Mm -hmm. So that is helpful. Thank you, Uncle MG. And then I think we need to um, get back to our questions because I know we're running out of time. So if we don't mind. Let's get our next question. Probably our last question. Uh, so Sonia is asking, what does your team think about celebrating the new year? And Sonia or Sonja, that is a really good question. I think I'll just answer it with um, the book of Romans chapter 14, verse five. If you want to go over there with me, Romans 14, five. Oops, sorry. I was looking around at things and I lost my place, so I apologize. And so, I mean, the context here in Romans chapter 14 is, um, you know, Paul is talking about um, believers at that time. Um, it, the, it, he's talking about, you know, if some people eat herbs and some people don't, like, don't judge your brother if they don't eat herbs. Um, and I think this was referring back to the the story of Passover. Like, some people were still celebrating Passover even after Jesus had already you know, sacrificed or, or had already, you know, been crucified um, and risen again. And so 
Paul is basically saying, you know, some people still want to keep it, whatever, <laughs> let them keep it. You don't have to basically, um, in verse, so again, in Romans 14, verse five, it says one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. And so, you know, when it comes to new year, um, as far as, you know, just, you know, celebrating it, there's nothing wrong with, you know, saying, Hey, happy new year. You know, this is a new start, a new you know, chapter in my life. You know, it's not a bad thing. Um, but is it something essential to do? No, not necessarily. Um, some people have, I think, a conflict with celebrating the Lunar New Year, which is more, you know, like people call it, um, some people call it Chinese New Year, uh, where they're celebrating, you know, it's like the year, I think this year is like the year of the rabbit, things like that. Um, and to that, I would say, you know, um, those don't really coincide with things in the Bible. So it's up to you as to, you know, your own personal conviction. I don't celebrate it. Um, but you know, I respect others who do. And so I would just, you know, I don't believe in <laughs> that, you know, aspect of Eastern religion, um, again, but you know, do I, am I kind and respectful of other people and their beliefs? Of course, because that's, you know, what they want to do. And so, um, you know, do we need to be participating in it? Not necessarily, but again, it's up to you as an individual as to what you think is appropriate and, you know, and not for your own life. But, um, you know, just a regular new year. Like I didn't even stay up till midnight this year. I just went to bed. <laughs> so, but and to be honest, but you know, in the years past, have I? Yeah. Cause it's kind of fun to be like, yeah, it's a new year. Like I said, a new start. So it's up to you. That's what I would say. Uh, Jay or Wendy, anything else on that? Uh, yeah. I mean, even the, the, the Hebrews and Jewish people had multiple new years. They had, you know, two calendars, one for the festivals. And then they had like another civil calendar, like Rosh Hashanah in, um, which that starts, yeah, I, think of it. I mean, it's on a different time. So, so they have multiple ones and, mm -hmm. and I agree, like, I think the overriding principle is, uh, first Corinthians 10 31, which is whether you eat or drink, or whatever mm -hmm. you do, do it all to the glory of God. And Amen. yeah, if you're getting drunk, if you're being lewd, if you're doing these sorts of things, you're not glorifying God, but if you can yeah. be a loving person, you know, have a good time with good, wholesome time with people, showing them love. Like that's, you you could be glorifying God easily there. Amen. I know. I remember, um, I just reminded me, like, remember that one year we all celebrated New Year's together many years ago before I got married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right before. And, <laughs> yeah. And I was um, dating my husband and a lot of us, you know, we celebrated and we you know, started the New Year with prayer. You know, it was a beautiful thing. It was a bunch of us Christians coming together and joining in, in a, a you know, a believer's house. And you know, it was a beautiful thing. It, it wasn't, you know, something very, I think, sanctified, but yeah, should we celebrate the way the world celebrates, you know, drinking and partying? And no, no, that's not, that's not the, you're right. That's not to the glory of God. We don't want to do that. Yeah. So good anyway, question. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, I think we are just about out of time. Um, yeah. Cause the next one is a, is a hefty one. Unless um, we just go really high level on it. <laughs> so much where I hate to give it a half answer. Well, we can put it till next week. Where I think we should wait till next week on it if it's a big one. That is a and it's a good one too. So I mean, yeah. I don't know. Okay. We want to give it the the time it deserves. So if you're yeah. listening out there and you have a question that you would like featured on our weekly show, be sure to go to our website, Bible Ask Live. Um, BibleAsta.org, excuse me, forward slash live. And you can submit your questions to our weekly show where we can answer them. And again, like we said, feature them on our show and answer them for you. And if you, again, have any um, 
if you've enjoyed what you've liked or, or enjoyed what you've heard with us so far, be sure to like and share our content. It really helps us out to get the message and to just, um, you know, reach more people for the gospel and with, you know, with the Bible. And that's all we want to do here at Bible Ask. We just want to reach other people um, with, you know, the message of God's love and his truth and in, in his holy word, the Bible. So we just hope uh, that you've been blessed. And again, we hope to see you again next week at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And again, we'll have our weekly live show. So with that, we hope to see you again. And we'll close with a quick word of prayer. If dear, when do you want to do you want to pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we could spend together. Thank you for all the people tuning in and join us. And we'll watch the replays. We pray a special blessing for all of them, for protection, for your hand to rest on their shoulders and to guide us all together into your truth, Lord, that we may know you truly and have a good, close relationship with you, one that provides us with life, that frees us from spiritual slavery and spiritual death, that we may also share your words of truth and life to the world. This we pray, Lord, in the name of, of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that. And again, we just want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. And we pray to see you again next week at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Yeah.